Amen and amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. How was your extra hour of sleep? Wasn't it remarkable? And wasn't it? They should do that every week, I think. So I'll, uh, I'll let's see if we can start kind of some kind of groundswell for that. I don't know what's going to happen to our days and our nights, but who cares, right? Well, it is good. You know, my, my favorite Sunday always to preach is on this Sunday. My least favorite is when you lose an hour because you can have the best joke in the world. And if you've lost an hour of sleep, nobody cares. So, um, so it's good to have you guys here with us this morning. And uh, we are going to continue in our look at um, uh, being shaped like Jesus. And um, this week we're going to be uh, uh, looking uh, at two passages, the Gospel of Matthew, one from the Gospel of Matthew, one from the Gospel of Luke. And so I encourage you to hear these words. Matthew says this in chapter 14. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured the sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. And then from the Gospel of Luke, we hear this parable from Jesus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful 
autumnal morning as we continue to see the leaves as they change as we are amazed at your creativity we are amazed that you have created this home for us you began lord in this place of love and care for your creation and i pray this morning lord that as we remember that that it will change us that it will shape us into a different people And that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So today, let me just start off with the warning. Today, we're talking about generosity. Now, I know that whenever I talk about this particular subject, as I do almost any time I talk about it, I have to begin with these kind of caveats to say, look, you know, we're not just about the money here. That's not all that's important. That generosity means a lot of things. And and usually I have to say, I hope that nobody's visiting us today, because if you do, we'll just feed into this stereotype that preachers and churches just want your money. And so I, you know, I always have a bit of uh, a bit of anxiety when it comes to this particular subject. I mean, I've had people, I know, visitors who have come and they heard me talk about it. I know this for a fact. And they did not come back because of the fact that we talked about money. So I was delighted this week uh, as I was reading this story about this woman, uh, or a woman wrote it about her husband who's a pastor. And uh, apparently he preached once on money uh, uh, and, and an angry parishioner came up to him afterwards and said to him, why do you talk about money? Why don't you just talk about the Bible? You don't laugh as much as you should. The reality, of course, and I could give you the whole litany of how many times the Bible, how many times Jesus himself talks about money, but most of you have probably already heard that before. The reality is, the reason why pastors talk about money is because Jesus talked about money. And if you want us to be scriptural in what we do here at ZPC, then that includes everything. It includes money, it includes how you're spending your time, how you're spending your energy, all of those things. So so on the one hand, we need to talk about generosity because it's in the Bible. We also need to talk about generosity because it doesn't come easily for most of us. Most of us, many of us at least, we struggle at times, myself included, with being generous. So that's another reason. We need to talk about generosity because at times it's just fun to make people angry. Right? I, I did this kind of this Enneagram, and, and one of the attributes of someone like me is that if, if, the, if things at the Thanksgiving table, if they're getting kind of slow, what you do is you kind of just throw out something like, hey, what do you think about Donald Trump? Or what do you think about the Democrats? And then you sit back and just watch while everyone just kind of fights. This is fun at times, right? I mean, it's fun just to cause a little bit of kind of conflict, right? And so that's not the main reason, but it is a nice byproduct at times. So So we need to talk about generosity. And the reality is, if we want to be shaped like Jesus, which is what we've been talking about this whole series, if we want to be shaped like Jesus, then we need to think through what it means, who Jesus was. Remember, we're using 2 Corinthians 3.18 as kind of our, our driving passage, that our lives are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters into them and we become more like him. And when we look at Jesus and we look at the stories that he tells, it should be abundantly clear that Jesus is a man, is a God who is generous, 
right? We look at the stories that he tells, the stories of, you know, of something like the prodigal son, right? Where not only do you see the father who gives away half of what he had to his child much sooner than he should have, much sooner than was prescribed by law, but he goes ahead and he gives it to him. But then you remember, right, when he comes back, he doesn't just welcome him back. What does he do? He throws a huge party, right, where they bring in the prize calf, and there's this kind of exorbitant party. There is this great extravagance, and Jesus is saying, this is like who God is, right? Or, or the story of the workers. There were those who got er- there early in the day, and then others who got there later in the day. Maybe you remember this, and Jesus, or not Jesus, but the, 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 the owner of the farm, he, he pays them all the same, and the people who were there early are all upset, and, 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 and the owner says, are you jealous because I am generous, right? There's this sense of generosity or the story of turning the water into wine. Maybe you you remember that story as well, probably, right? Well, Willeman talks about how not only Right? Does he turn it into really good wine? Right? This is not two-buck chuck from Trader Joe's. This is like some really good wine. You can think about that. I don't actually know what good wine is, but my guess is you probably do. And so, so, so I'm not trying to say anything about you guys. I'm just saying that maybe you have heard that this is really good wine. And not only that, but do you remember that he makes 180 gallons worth of wine? That feels like a lot. Right? And so there's this sense of extravagance, right? Whenever, we, whenever it is that we look at the life of who Jesus is, right? Or, of course, the story of the five loaves and the two fish, right? That I just read from the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, I, I love this, right? The disciples go up to him, right? And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, get these guys, these freeloaders, really, get them to go and buy some food at the town. We're not going to be able to feed them. Tell them to go home or go to the town, get some food. And Jesus, of course, is saying, no, 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 none of that. You have them sit down. But what's amazing about this story, right, is that not only is there enough food to feed all of them, but there are how many basketfuls left? 12 basketfuls. Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have just made it so that just the last morsel was just perfect for the last kid or the last adult. But Jesus, no, no, no. In this, he says, I'm going to make sure that there is an abundance. So there's this sense from the very beginning of Jesus that the reality that he is a generous God, an extravagant God. And we need to remember that, not just because if we want to be shaped like Jesus, we want to look like that, but we also have to remember that because our own ability to be generous is contingent upon how we understand who God is. Back in the early 20th century, A.W. Tozer uh, has this, uh, wrote this, and I want you to see this. Here's what he says. He says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he goes on to say, were we able to extract from any person a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. In other words, this is what Tozer is saying. If you want to understand yourself or someone else and the direction that they are moving, then look at how they understand who God is. 
Okay, James Bryan Smith says that too many, far too many, especially followers of Jesus and maybe even others, are, when they view God, they have this, this view of a very judgmental, a taskmaster, someone who can't wait to punish them, someone who, who wants to take away. It looks like they're having a good time. Let's take that away from them. And that if that's your view of God, oftentimes then that's how your life looks. That's how you view other people, even yourself. But if you have a view, an accurate view, I would suggest, of a generous God, one who loves to give you good things, then the reality is that that is the person that you will end up becoming because of the fact that you will be shaped by that view. Uh, when I was kind of growing up, and there were times when, um, when I needed money. Uh, and, and there were times when maybe when, when family members would help. And, and, and there were two different couples in my family um, um, who, who I knew could help me. They had the means. And I want you to know, be very clear, both of them, at certain times, they gave money to me. Okay? But I want you to know that while both of them gave, only one of them was actually generous. What I mean by that is not an amount, because it was about the same amount, quite frankly. What I mean by that is the one couple, when they did, you could tell they were excited. There was almost this joy. There was a sense of, hey, we are so happy to be able to be a part of this. We've received, now we get to give to you. And there was never a sense of ever trying to pay back. Now, the other couple, they would be more than happy. You know, they would, they would give it to you. But you could always tell that while they weren't going to expect any money back, they at least wanted you to feel guilty about taking that money that they gave to you. Right? There was just that sense, right? And since I know both of these sets fairly well, here's what I also know. What I also know is that their view of God aligns with both of those things perfectly. The one couple, they really have a sense of the joy of following Jesus, a joy of kind of what God has done for them. The other couple, they're very good churchgoers, don't get me wrong, but they have this sense they are constantly living in this sense of guilt, right? And, and, and so that they, I'm always owing something, I'm always owing something. And so when they give, they expect that in return. It's this dramatic difference that comes simply by how you look and understand God. So if we want to cultivate, be cultivated into a generous people, the foundation of that is this. Do you understand that we serve an incredibly generous God? Now, not only that, but also, I think, as we begin to see in this particular story, as theologians talk about, we need to figure out whether or not you have a lens of scarcity or a lens of abundance. So the disciples, they come to Jesus, right, as I've already said, and they say, hey, look, you know what, we just, you know, we, we, we don't have enough food. And, and, and what's interesting, of course, is that they don't actually even bring the food with them, right? I mean, because later on, Jesus says, bring the food to me, which means that Jesus doesn't yet have the food, right? So they look, and my guess is they look at this and they're like, seriously, this is all we got? And they're like, why waste Jesus's time even bringing up this paltry amount? We'll just go tell him what to do. I love this. It's, it's pretty rare that the disciples just tell Jesus what to do. But here they were so convinced that they didn't have enough that they just told Jesus what to do, right? Let's just tell God what he should do, right? Most of us do that at one point or another. And so this is exactly what they do. And I have this sneaking suspicion that when they were talking to him, that probably they weren't even looking at the food and they may not have even been looking at Jesus. I have a sneaking suspicion what they were looking at was the massive need that was all around them. The thousands of hungry crowd, and it makes all the sense to me, but what they were looking at, what they were focused on was what they didn't have. Rather than focusing, as Jesus will do, on what they do have. 
And I would suggest that more often than not, what we get caught up in is we get caught up in what others have, what we don't have, rather than actually seeing what we already have been gifted by God. Now, the good news is that we don't have to be taught that mentality. I think it comes naturally. There are some times when people say, oh, we, you know, kids, they're born perfectly, and then they're, they're, they're taught bad things. Well, not my kids, okay? So, and maybe this is true for you, but there is no better example of that than Halloween this week, right? I mean, Halloween, this is amazing. We go around, we do our trick-or-treating, right? And, and I, mean, I mean, it's ridiculous how much. I can barely hold the pailfuls of candy from these kids, right? And so we get home and they're like, whoa, that's what's candy. And they're, they're, you know, they're just hyped on sugar and they're looking around. But you know what happens, right? They begin to look around, they're like, whoa, we have so much. And they begin to look and to see how much others, right? And their joy or their sadness begins to be predicated on how much their sisters have as well, right? And if you as a parent decide to take one piece of candy from one of theirs and you don't take it from the other ones as well, then there is great weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now remember, all of this was free, all of it was free. They didn't do anything to earn this. It was a trick-or-treat. Any monkey could do that, right? But all of a sudden then, now I'll be honest, right? I talk, I, you know, my ch- there was one time this week after Halloween when I said to one of my kids, I won't say, hey, I was like, hey, I want that Reese's. And, and she said, okay. And seriously, I was like, what? And she's like, no, you can, you can have it, Daddy. And I was like, you're my favorite. And... <laughs> And it gave me some sense of hope, right? But it was an aberration, right? This was so odd. And I would suggest that oftentimes, right, we live through this lens of scarcity versus this lens of abundance, right? And it's funny because we always think when you're younger, oh, well, if I, when I get more money, then I'm going to be more generous. But we get more money and we move into a little bit bigger house. And then all of a sudden you realize your neighbors have a little bit more than you have. And so rather than saying, whoa, look at what I have, all of a sudden you're like, well, they seem to have a little bit nicer car. Maybe I should get that. And there is never this sense of ever having enough. And if you wait to be generous until you have enough, you will never give. Right? It's the difference between looking at life through the lens of scarcity versus the lens of abundance. And if we continue to do that, what ends up happening is we miss out. The disciples, they were kind of forced. The disciples were forced to participate in watching God take something that is very little and use it in order to give to the many. But because of that, they had the joy of being able to participate in that. And if you have a lens of scarcity, even in those moments, when you might give, it will not be full of joy because you are too afraid that you will never see any of that back. So we have to begin when it comes to generosity, A, with understanding the generous God we serve, B, with beginning to see things through the lens of abundance, not the lens of scarcity, not by seeing what others have that we don't. But I think this parable that I read in Luke also tells us something about generosity. Now, I got I to gotta do a quick disclaimer here. This, this parable could easily be manipulative, okay? So if you were paying attention, the story about Lazarus, the poor man, and then the rich man, and how the rich man's in hell, and, you know, you could, if you wanted to, you could say, look, if you don't give, you're going to hell, okay? And I will not do that, 
until a capital campaign fund. I will not do that yet. I'm just kidding. Mostly, no. Totally kidding. Okay, we need to be very clear. In fact, uh, so on Wednesday, I brought this passage to the staff and I, I told them before we started, look, I'm only about, I'm about 40, 60, whether or not I'm gonna use this. I probably won't use it because I have some concerns about using it, but it sparked some really interesting conversation. And then at the end, I don't know why I did this. I don't think I've ever done this before. I think it's because we were like a polling place. So I was kind of getting in the mood of kind of having votes and doing that. And so I, I went around and I said, okay, let's vote. Who thinks I should use this? And about 70% of the staff said yes. Now it also is the 70% of staff that, that, that doesn't like me. So it makes me, uh, it made me a little bit nervous, right? There was a little bit of, a, of an evil gleam, like, oh yeah, Jerry will never survive this, right? But, uh, but they said, oh no, we think you should do it. So I, I want to just kind of briefly touch on it, but I do want to say this. Let's remember that the story of five loaves and two fish, do you know how many gospels that story is in? All four, all four gospels. This parable is only in one. All right? So there is a sense, I think, and we can see it. You know, David Lowe's talks about the fact that no parable is supposed to be a whole systematic theology. So you can't understand all of theology from one parable. And as you look at Scripture, you look through Scripture and the Gospels, it's clear that grace is absolutely preeminent. So let's kind of go into it with that thinking so that you don't think, wow, if I don't give to that one homeless person, well, I guess, you know, this parable is saying I'm going to go to hell. No, that's not what it's saying. At the same time, Luke did at least find it important enough to include it, and Jesus actually told the parable. So we need to pay attention to it in some way, it seems to me. And one of the things I think that this parable is speaking to is a sense of urgency. There is this sense that oftentimes when it comes to generosity, one of the things that inhibits us from doing that, and this is connected to the kind of the lens of scarcity versus abundance, is we keep saying, well, well, we'll we'll, we'll wait. We think we're going to have more time. We're going to have more energy. We're going to have more money tomorrow or next week or next year. And when we do, then we are going to be more generous. And this kind of stark parable, right, that should wake us up in some ways, is this great reminder that all of us at some point, death is going to come unless Jesus returns before then. And so often we have this false assumption that tomorrow's just going to be, we'll be in a little bit better position and we'll just wait a little bit longer. And it inhibits us, I would suggest, from actually being able to say, hey, look, this is what we have now. So how can we give of our time? How can we give of our energy? How can we give of our money at this point? What would it look like for us to do that now? To not say, well, we'll wait for a day that more than likely will never come. But Jesus gives this parable as he looks at these Pharisees, as he sees how they're living their lives, and he's saying, wake up, right? What is he t- Remember the story last week about Zacchaeus. I said this briefly at the charge and the blessing about what does Jesus say? Jesus does not say to Zacchaeus, hey, come down. You know what? We should get together sometime. What does he say? Today. Today I am going to your house. And when does salvation come? Salvation has come today. Not someplace into the future, but today. And so one of the things that this parable does that I think is is wise for us to pay attention to is the sense not of living in panic, but of living with a real sense of intentionality and urgency. Right? What does this mean for us today? That's what I said last week. When it comes to being hospitable, Right? Don't wait until tomorrow to welcome the stranger in your midst. Find one stranger to do today. I also said you don't have to find 50 of them. Just find one. Who is one person today that you can welcome? 
What is one way that we can be generous today? There's something else that it seems to me that Jesus is trying to teach us through this particular parable. Whenever you're reading over a bunch of different stories, one of the things that's always critical to do is ask this question, what is unique about this particular story that it doesn't seem like any other story has? And this particular parable, the one thing that is most dramatically unique about it is this. It is the only parable of all of them where there is someone who is given an actual name. You think about the Good Samaritan, you think about the prodigal son, you think about the ten bridesmaids, you can go on and on. There are no names given in any other parable. And in this parable, did you notice who it is who is given a name? It isn't the rich man, it is the poor man. It is Lazarus. And I think that one of the things that Jesus is doing in this remarkable parable and by saying, I am going to give a name, is that what Jesus is doing is saying that finally, at long last, Lazarus, the poor man, is recognized as being fully human, as being a child of God, as being loved, as being known enough and important enough to actually be named. There is a real name. This is a real person. You see, I think that far too often one of the things that inhibits us from being generous is that we don't understand just how impactful our lives can be when we are generous to somebody else. Because so frequently being generous to someone for whomever, think about the time when you receive generosity from someone. Just think about it. It is more than about the time that they were willing to spend with you or the energy that they were willing to spend or the money that they were willing to spend. It is about much deeper than that. It is you, them saying to you, you are important enough to me. I love you enough. You are significant enough to me that I am going to give of this to you. And so often it seems to me that's the sense. It's the same as being named when someone remembers your name, especially someone you may not know that well. And they say, hey, Jerry, there's something different. Or even psychologists have shown that when someone continually uses your name, it does something to you. It makes you feel significant. It makes you feel like you matter. And generosity matters more to you, my guess is, than what most of us could ever imagine. I was thinking about that earlier this week. And one of, the things, one of the things that I realized is that one of the great joys of being a pastor is the simple fact that I get to see and experience the impact that your generosity has. And what I also realized is that far too many of you, you never get to experience that. So I started thinking about it. I started thinking about it this week, just, just for these seven days, let's say, from Sunday to yesterday. What, 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 how, in what ways has ZPC been generous? What does that look like? And so I started, of course, last week and thinking about the trunk or treat. Now, hopefully uh, you were here, but, but here are some pictures of the trunk or treat. Now, let's just hold on to this for a second. As you, as you begin to look at it, one of the interesting things is there's people there that we know, but there's also, quite frankly, people on the left, in the middle, you know. But if you look at the gathering space, if you look closely, there's quite a few people that we don't know. What was amazing, I think we had around, we had hundreds of people here. It was insane. I don't know what we did. We've been like, hey, what did we do? How do we publicize this? 
this just like we did this time. I mean, it was incredible. But what I want you to know, what I want you to know is this reality that by doing so, look, kids can get free candy during this week anywhere. What we were doing is not just like, hey, you know what? We really believe, as we prayed about this, that kids need more candy. So we should do trunk or treat. No, do you know what we did? What we said is, what is the way that we can create space, that we can welcome them, that we can be generous by using our building, right? This time we actually used the, the inside of our building, which uh, was a mess after Trunk or Treat was over. But we said, hey, that's worth it. Uh, and we said, we want, what we want to do is create space so that these children and these parents and these grandparents or whomever else is here knows that they are important, that they are significant to us. Right? And if you look at this next, at the next slide, which is also some trunk or tree, I want you to also look at the bottom left-hand side, because this was kind of fun. Last week we had, uh, we had this family that was visiting, and there was a high schooler. Um, it was a second service, so I don't, I don't see him here, which is, which is good, so I'll tell the story. And, 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 you know, sometimes high schoolers, look, this may surprise you, like they don't want to be in here. Um, and, and so he looked like he didn't really want to be in here, which I totally get. I was like that in high school as well. Sometimes, even as an adult, uh, I don't want to be here, but I'm here. But here's the cool thing, right? As I said to him, hey, do you want, do you want to get something to eat? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, come on, let's come on back here. And so we kind of walked back and we walked in through the gym, right? You could see it right there. In fact, this was almost our vantage point. And this, and he was like, whoa, that's all you're going to get. But here's the thing. All of a sudden, right, he walks in and he sees this kind of extravagance, right? All of these tables, all of this food, right? And we got to sit down, uh, my wife and I, um, um, and when we, when we got to eat with a family that, that, that wasn't there. In fact, when I sat down, we always know because they're like, so how are you connected to the church? And Which was great, but what it meant was they weren't here at worship, right? But what it also meant was that they came in from the community and they said, hey, well, let's eat. This is free food, right? And what I loved about that is there's a sign that you are important. You are significant. And we want to open this place up to you. And it makes a difference, right? Yesterday, we had, uh, we had Team World Vision. You can see here, we talked, we prayed for them last week. And you can see these, these runners. And I want you to remember that over a thousand lives have been impacted in Africa for clean water because of what we did. And you can look at the next slide as well. And you can, you can see, I, I like this as well, the upper right-hand side. These were people who, who they, they weren't actually running, um, but what they were doing is they were giving out water, right? And they were, they were giving out water at this water station, and it was like, hey, we are going to give, I don't know how many hours they were out there, but it had to be a lot. Some people stayed longer than you did, Leanne. So some people left early, but, but others were even more generous and, uh, and stayed out there the whole time. And so, so um, but, but, but there they were, right? And why? They didn't know most of these runners, right? But it's just this sign of saying, hey, I am willing to give up my time. Why? Because you're important to me, because I like you, right? You're significant, right? Or then last night, of course, last night we had this glow event, the mom-son glow night, right? And you can kind of see uh, some of the pictures there. We can look at the next slide. And, and this, was this, this was kind of this night, this opportunity there. You can see the food that we're, that's being passed out. And it was this great opportunity. Again, many folks who weren't ZPCers to say, hey, we want to be generous. We want to spend this time with you. Why? Because you matter to us. What we're doing is significant. What, who you are is significant, right? And we had their names. So we got to call them by name as they're coming through the food line. And so we had this experience, right? Then, then, then this week, remember I told you, just these seven days, this week then we also had a conversation. I had a conversation with someone from the Jeremiah house. You know, the, the, the house that we have, that we kind of, that we support and uh, 
is, is for those who are recovering addicts and trying to help them to get back, get their feet uh, uh, under them. And, 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 and just as a part of the conversation, one of the things he said was, hey, I just want to tell you again how much I appreciate the Jeremiah house. Thank you for giving me this house, right? Which is not just money, but it's a lot of people's time and energy that they spend with the Jeremiah house, right? Then earlier then like Monday, I got, a, I got an email from, from people, from, from three of our folks coming back from Barcelona. And they were like, they had just been there. They were doing leadership training for a, for a, for a, a ministry that I've talked to you all about before that we support that helps um, um, primarily North African and Middle Eastern immigrants and refugees, right? And they were there trying to help them to try to, how do we, how do we lead like Jesus? What does, that, what does that look like, right? That was just this week. But we're not done yet. Here's what I want you to know. Oh, wait, there's one more thing, which was, which was I was having uh, lunch with somebody and they just lost a loved one. They have no connection to Z. I mean, they have no, they're not members here. They don't, they don't worship here. And I said to her, do you need some food? And she's like, well, you know, it's not, don't worry. It's not a big deal. But I knew that, that she really wanted some, right? Because who doesn't want free food? And so I said to them, I said to her, look, we can do this meal train. Do you want us to do this meal train? And she said, she said sure. And I want you to know the reason why I set the meal train up, the reason why we did it is because I, knew that you all would give food. I knew beyond the shadow of doubt, I want you to know how excited I was that we were going to be able to show her that this is what we do. We love you even if we don't know you because we believe that you are significant, that you matter. But now here, wait, I'm not done yet. Because then as I continue to think about it, I realize the importance again of names. So I want you to hear something. I want you to see, first of all, I want you to see quickly this little video. It's not very long. Let's take a look at this. Now, who could tell me where that is? It's in Syria. This week, I got an email from Marilyn Borst, who was here this summer, and this is the beginnings of the retreat center that this past May and June, we decided as a session that we were going to give money for this retreat center. Maybe you remember this. At the end of the year, fiscal year, we had $108,000 surplus, and we decided, after, con- after, after conversation and debate about this, we decided that we were going to give a significant part of the, uh, of the $54,000 that we decided to give away the surplus to this retreat center, to a place that has been riddled by war to say, here is a space for you to breathe. Here is a space for you to pray. Here is a space for you to learn. Here is a space for you to simply be at peace. And I want to remind you that we had some good conversation because it would have been very easy for us to have said, we don't know what this next year is going to be like. Maybe we should hold on to the whole thing just in case. But your session, I want you to know this, said, no, we are going to give. And now it's being made. One of the cool little stories, I'll just say this real quickly. One of the cool little stories is that after I said that, there was someone who had just kind of been coming to ZPC for a little bit. And they said, you know what's amazing? Is that the last Sunday of May, I gave some money in the offering. Which means that I was a part of what we did in Syria. 
That is awesome. And what I want you to know is when you hear Syria, I want you to hear these words. Boutrous Zawur, Joel Sabah, Christian Katouf. Those are three Syrians. The next time you hear about Syria, I want you to think of their names. And I want you to know because of what it is that we are doing and are a part of, that they will have a place of rest and peace. Those are three people whose lives have been changed because of the generosity of this place. Or Brittany or Dylan. These were two people this week who came in. There were others, two people who came in to get grocery, um, to get vouchers for grocery or for gas. I want you to know that Brittany and Dylan's life, what they know is that we know their name and that now they have food or a way to get to other places because of what we have done. Or Nancy or Tony or Ray, who are three people who are a part of our food pantry community. And what you should know, you probably know this, is not only do we give them food, but if they want it, we offer devotion. And if they want it, we pray for them. We always get these prayers. And that, we, that those people, Nancy, Tony, or Ray, they have been touched because of the generosity of this congregation. Or what about Michelle or, or Angie or, or, or Chantel? These are three moms who are a part of our mops. They're not part of ZPC, they're a part of mops. And if you've, if you've been a mom, you know that sometimes it's easy to just think because you hear mom, 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 that that's all you are. Are, but we gave them the names. We reminded them, you have a name. You are significant for beyond that. We love that you're a mom, but you're more than just that. They, they have this impact that we have, right? Of this reminder that what they do matters. Or what about Betty or Connie or DW? Now I'm going to close with this. As you know, as many of you know, now this email I technically got on Friday last, the previous week. But it's close enough. And there were pictures, I got lots of pictures of the Kentucky mission trip. What I want you to know is this. As a part of that mission trip, um, what they did is we had this table in the gathering space. And there was a guy who was here during a gathering. There was a guy who was here uh, serving for a great banquet or volunteering for a great banquet. And he looked and he said, you know what? That's originally where I'm from. I'm from Kentucky. And he said, do you guys ever need food? Well, it just so happens that one of the major things that they do is they fill the food pantry. And, 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 and so Jim, I think it was Jim Martin, he was like, yeah, well, yeah, of course, yeah, we definitely need food. And he said, well, you know what? I just happen to have a trucking business, and I happen to have a truck that's at the Indianapolis airport that's full of food, and I need to give it away. And so they use that food. You can see some of that food there. That's the inside of the truck there on that left-hand side. And they gave that food. And I want you to know that Betty and Connie and D.W. experienced this. You want to talk about five loaves and two fish. They said, hey, we're going to go. We may not have that much to offer, but we'll go. We'll try to get some food. And all of a sudden, because there were people here who said we were willing to be generous, all of a sudden, all of this food was able to be taken to Kentucky for the people there. And what I want you to know is that it matters. That there are people that through our generosity, that when we give to them, they are reminded that they have a name, that they are significant, and your generosity is a part of that. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't really like talking that much about all the great things I think ZPC is doing because one of the more annoying things to me, and I think you know this, is I don't like it when pastors look like they're tooting their own horns, right? That, that gets, isn't that annoying? You kind of like it? Okay, good. I'll do it more. So, but I also know it is unfair for me to be the only person who gets to experience the joy of what it is that your generosity is doing. What I want you to know, what I want to encourage you in the days ahead, keep remembering the generosity of God. Never forget that. 
Because the more generous that you understand God is, the more we will be. And what I also want you to know is that it matters. That the things that we are doing here, your generosity is making a difference in people's lives. It is saying to them, you are important. You have a name. You are important to Christ. So my hope and my prayer, sisters and brothers, is that we would be a people who continue to be generous in that way. Knowing it is who God is and it is who we must grow into more and more. Amen. Sisters and brothers in Christ, I am reminding you that the Lord is the host of this table. The generosity of Jesus Christ 